Okay, and the story begins. Okay, we're on chapter 13, page 152. So we're continuing our discussion. Oh, look, did everybody freeze? No, you're still there. Okay. <laughs> my computer's a little, uh, my internet's unstable. We're continuing our discussion about the Bainini. Now, we may not be a Bainini, but we're either a Bainini or aspiring Bainini's. There's still a lot to learn here. A lot of relevant messages here. A Bainini basically means I want to sin, but I'm not going to. I'm going to restrain. Although I don't con have control over who I am, how I feel, I do have control as to what I do, my behavior. And with oh, this, yes, sorry? yeah. If you're thinking of something bad and you don't do it, what's that considered? Okay, so so abandoning would not facilitate the wouldn't facilitate that bad urge. Abandoning has the urge, but won't facilitate it. Um, won't facilitate it in his mind. So like we said last week, you can't control what you think of, right? If I tell you don't think of parking here, you just thought of it. You, you can't control what you think of. You, can't, you can control what you think about. You, you don't get to control what comes to your mind, but if you want to facilitate that thought or if you want to push it away, that's your choice. Okay. Um, with this, we can understand the definition that our sages ascribed to a Bainini. They said that a, they, they ascribed a, de, a very specific definition to help us understand the difference between a Tzaddik, Bainini, and Rasha. A Tzaddik means somebody who is, his internal judge is his positive inclination, good inclination, divine soul. A Rasha means his internal judge is his negative influence, his animal soul. And a Bainini is judged by both. I'm going to read the first bold paragraph on page 152. The first bold English paragraph on 152. With this insight into the nature of a Bainini from chapter 12, we can understand the teaching of our sages of blessed memory cited in chapter 1. In the case of in-betweeners, the Bainini, both good and bad impulses are their internal judges of what to do and what not to do meaning that they are guided by the Yetzer Tov, the impulse to good, and the Yetzer the impulse to bad. They're guided by both. These two impulses don't dominate the Benini. They just advise the Benini. I'm going to skip to the middle, the, not the next bold paragraph, but the one after it. it. starts with the Talmud did not say. It's the third to bottom paragraph on the page. The Talmud did not say that the Benini is ruled by both impulses, which would imply that the Yetzer, Hara, the evil inclination, would have actually some real control over his behavior, God forbid. The, the, the Benini is free. He's very much free. Because he's not ruled by anything. Real freedom, this is a very powerful insight as to what freedom is. Real freedom means... I'm not being impulsive. Sometimes, you know, freedom is I get to do what I want. But over here, what real freedom is, I don't have to do what I want. I get to do what's right. I have that inner strength 
And that's real freedom. The way he paints the, the picture illustrates the imagery that, that the author gives us. You have the evil inclination on one side of our heart advising that we do something not good, but he has, doesn't have full control. The positive inclination advises us on the other side. And there's a debate, just like in the cartoons, you know, the two angels popping up. Um, now you know where they got it from. You mean the angel and the devil on each shoulder? Yeah. An animal house. Yeah, exactly. They're, one of them has the pitchfork, one of them has the harp. Yeah. Right, that part is Hollywood, but, but, the, actual, but the, concept, <laughs> the concept is real, not in the literal sense, but in the emotional, psychological, spiritual, slash metaphorical sense, it exists. We all face that. If we, if we were to stop and approach life a little bit more intentionally and slower, we would notice. We were to think, wait a minute. What is motivating this urge? What is motivating this behavior? Now, whenever, whenever um, a, a rabbinical court, a baked in, requires three judges, right? You need three judges, a minimal of three judges in a rabbinical court. And the reason for that is if you have two judges, you know, if you have one judge, it's kind of, it's not so, it could be subjective. If you have two judges, they might disagree with one another. So you need a third judge to break the tie. That's why a rabbinical court has two judges. Three, sorry, three judges. We have this rabbinical court sitting, advising us. There's judge number one, the evil inclination. Judge number two, the positive inclination. Okay, they're both disagreeing. We need a third judge. Who's that third judge? The that third judge. One? What? The, who's the impartial third? The impartial third? one? But who is that? That's the tiebreaker. The tiebreaker? The, there's the tiebreaker, right? Yeah. The tiebreaker is God. Let's take a look on page. Um, page 153. The bottom, the, the last bold paragraph on the page is the third, and third to bottom paragraph on the page of 153. And the law follows the words of the third reconciliatory view. This third judge being none other than God, the Blessed Holy One, who comes immediately to assist the Yetzer Tov, the good inclination. As our sages of blessed memory taught, if the Blessed Holy One did not assist, he would not be able to overcome the evil inclination. We would not be able to, to overcome the evil inclination if not for the help of God, which is so powerful. It's very, this is a real powerful message. Often we do succeed, even if we're not a full bainini, but we have moments where we succeed. We succeed in gaining self-control. We succeed in expressing who we really are. And we feel real good about it. And we should feel good about it. We should feel proud. But we have to remember that we cannot succeed without the help of God. Um, and I'll tell you two stories in the Talmud which really express this idea. The great sage, Rabbi Meir, 
used to I guess when he was maybe he was young, I don't know, he would he would ridicule sinners. Come on guys, you know, you could do better. Come on. Um until he learned his lesson. The Talmud says that the Satan, the Satan, it's the English word for this. The you know what the Satan is? In Hollywood, the Satan, the Satan is this red-faced guy with horns and a pitchfork. The devil. The devil, right? There we go. That's the word. The devil. The the Satan. I guess there's a little bit of truth to it, but what Satan means is a prosecutor, a heavenly prosecutor. That's really what a Satan is. It's not necessarily, um, you know, with the with the tail and the pitchfork and the horns and and the Satan is a it, the devil means a prosecutor. This heavenly prosecutor comes and dresses, comes disguised as a woman, dressed inappropriately, aiming to entice Rabbi Mayer. And she is standing at the other side of a river. And out of nowhere, he sees her and he can't control himself. He starts crossing this rope bridge, this rickety rope bridge. Halfway through, the prosecutor, devil, Satan, reveals himself and says, see, you're ridiculing everybody for sinning, but you're not that much perfect. You're not that perfect yourself. You're still a human yourself. You succeed because of the merit of Torah that you have, because of your help from God. That's why you're successful. And you have to recognize that. And he learned his lesson. He realized that it's not that he wasn't self-made, he was God-made. And he has to rely on God. We always have to still rely on God. That very same section of the Talmud tells a very similar story with the great sage Rabbi Akiva. We're familiar with Rabbi Akiva, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Rabbi Akiva also would ridicule people for sinning until the Satan, the prosecutor, dressed as an inappropriate woman. She was on the top of a palm tree. Rabbi Akiva begins to scale the palm tree until halfway up, the Satan reveals himself and says, you know, you got to stop ridiculing people. It's because God is helping you succeed that you're successful. You're not self-made. And this is exactly what the Alter Rebbe, what the author is telling us over here. We have this inner debate inside. And we have to remember where our assistance comes from. We cannot succeed without the help of God. And, you know, sometimes we feel like we want more strength. It's appropriate to turn to God and pray and say, give me the strength. Give me the strength to be a more influential, positively influential person, to be a better person, to be a stronger person. We're not, we can't be self-made. We have to have the assistance of God. And this is what our sages say in the Talmud. If the Blessed Holy One did not assist him, he couldn't have overcome the evil inclination. This concept is actually alluded to. The beginning, the way beginning of Tanya, if you turn all the way to, cha uh, to page three. Page three precedes even chapter one. It's, it's the, the title page. If you remember our first, our very first lesson was on the title page. 
explaining what the goal of Tanya is. We explained that the goal of Tanya, Tanya is based on one verse from Deuteronomy. This thing is very close to you. A relationship with God is very close. And Tanya is trying to show us how a relationship with God is very practical, very doable, despite not being a tzaddik, despite not totally internalizing the soul. We can still become conscious of ourselves. We can still have a relationship with God. And here's what he says on page three, the first bold paragraph. And the way Tanya's method is going to do this is to clarify well how authentic worship is very much within reach in a long but short way, as opposed to the short, long way. We said the difference is the short, long way is basically inspiration. Inspiration is quick. It's exciting. It's long because it doesn't really last. <laughs> it doesn't really last and you become dependent. You become depend codependent on that inspiration. But the Tanya's method is not the short, long way. It's the long, short way. It's not inspiration, but actually information. And with that information, we have tools to work on ourselves and develop that inspiration. And the Alter Rebbe ends this paragraph with the help of God, may he be blessed. And the simple explanation is, with the help of God, this is what I'm going to explain. But another way to read it is, you're going to be able to accomplish this relationship with, with the help of God. It's not referring to his writings that I'm going to explain to this to you with the help of God. You're going to be able to accomplish this with the help of God. Without the help of God, we cannot succeed in our relationship with God. Uh, and the truth is, our relationship with anybody requires the help of God. Now, where do we get that help? How do we get that help? Sometimes to get God on our side, to feel that inspiration, his light. Right? We said his... his um, if you turn, sorry, if you turn back to 154, which is the next page. So God helps us. God assists, 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 tongue twister. I get these tongue twisters once in a while. God assists us, right? There's these two judges trying to advise us, the evil inclination, the good inclination, the animal soul, the divine soul. And God is the third judge going to help the divine soul help us succeed. What is this assistance? Page 154 on the top of the page. This assistance is a glimmer of God's light shining upon the divine soul. I'm going to skip also to the middle paragraph, which is bold. This assistance, this illumination of God's divine light enables the divine soul to have an advantage over the control of, uh, um, advantage over and control of the stupidity of the fool the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, like the advantage of light over darkness that we mentioned last week. Last week we said just like light illuminates darkness, um, being intentional gets rid of foolishness, right? Sometimes the, the evil inclination, the animal impulse, is not, it's not rational. It's emotionally irrational. And just by being intentional, that's a little bit of light that shines out the dark, right? When we're intentional, that will... Whenever we have this um, crossroad, am I going to do what's right or am I going to do what feels good? If we're intentional, we're more bound to make the right choice. And that helps with God's inspiration. But there's a feedback loop because we also kind of need to be open to that inspiration. 
right? If we're not open to that inspiration, it, then the inspiration isn't going to really help. So there, there is a feedback loop, and I'm, I want to share an insight with you. I'm going to share my screen. Um, where are we? Right over here. Okay. Can you see the screen? Mm -hmm. Okay. Text two and text three. Text two. Okay. Text one. I don't know why I put that there. It's from our first round of Tanya discussions, and I don't know what the relevance to that was, but there is a. Re <laughs> but text two is from Tehillim, from Psalms chapter 121. It's my favorite chapter in Psalms. God is your shadow on your right side. What does that mean? So the literal meaning, the commentators explain the literal explanation of that is just like a shadow, shade, protects from the sun. God is going to protect us from harm. So we call God our shadow. But the Kedusha Slevi, which is in text three, has anybody heard of Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev? You guys heard of him yeah. before? Of, uh, yeah, Rabbi Reitman always references him. Okay, so his book, he wrote a book called Kedushas Levi by Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev, just to give a historical context to who he was. He was a not only a colleague of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, Rabbi Shneur Zalman, he was also his mechutan. They're either children or their grandchildren, I forgot which one, married one another. So they ended up being coming in-laws uh, to each other as well. They were also good friends. And the way Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Barditchev explained this verse, why are we calling God our shadow? Because a shadow follows precisely what the owner of the shadow does. Your shadow follows you. Similarly, what God does reflects exactly what man had done before. So, God basically reflects us. If we can let go, and be open to God's inspiration, God will follow, God will reciprocate. And he will give us that inspiration, which is why we call him our shadow. If we close ourselves to that inspiration, he's not necessarily going to go out of his way to give it. So the relationship has to be initiated by us. We have to somehow initiate that relationship. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, we want inspiration. We want to feel God in our lives. We want to feel his assistance. We have to initiate it. We have to either pray for it. We have to do a mitzvah. We got to do something. And God will reciprocate just like a shadow follows the person. When we do that, there's a feedback loop. We do a mitzvah. We pray. We do something to get involved. God reciprocates. We're open to more inspiration. And now we have more strength to um, propel or perpetuate that relationship. Um, this is an idea talked about a lot in systems therapy. Systems therapy in, in marriage and family therapy maintains that everything runs in cycles. And when there is dysfunction in a relationship, it's because there's a cycle. And Everybody has their, re their role and how they react and perpetuate that cycle. And what a therapist would do from the outside would be able to look at that cycle, notice the dysfunction, somehow break that cycle and create a new cycle, create new dynamics because dynamics are circular. 
Um, but create new dynamics. And that's what we're doing in our relationship with God. Very often we don't feel inspired. We don't feel strong. So we tend to fail and then we feel more guilty about ourselves. So we don't feel inspired. We don't feel, there's a cycle. We have to redirect that cycle. We have to recreate that cycle. Jumping in, doing a mitzvah, praying something opens ourselves up to a new cycle, a healthy cycle. Make sense? Okay. If you remember back in chapter one, we started chapter one with a question. The question was, this is on page 20, the bottom of 27. All the way in the bottom, the last paragraph, the last bold paragraph, bottom of 27. You have it? Mm -hmm. yes. The rabbis taught at the end of chapter 3 of Tractate Nida, a section in the Talmud, that before a child is born, his or her soul is made to swear an oath, be righteous, be a tzaddik, and do not be Wicked, don't be a rasha. Now we said righteous and wicked are not the best translations. We'll <coughs> stick to the Hebrew words. Be a tzaddik, don't be a rasha. But you still have to be humble. And even if the entire world tells you you're a tzaddik, consider yourself like a rasha. And our question was, the question that the Yalta asked, is what's going to happen if I look at myself like a rasha? What's that going to do to me? You're going to feel bad about yourself. I'm going to feel bad about myself, and that's not going to help my relationship with God. It's not going to help. That's not going to motivate me. That's going to hinder my motivation, not increase it. So why would it say, look at yourself like a Russia? The answer, in our, he answers this in our chapter. Um, on page 156. The Bainini has a lot in common with a Russia. And if you look at the words, it didn't say, in the, in the Hebrew, it didn't say Russia. In the Hebrew, it said ke Russia. The prefix ke in Hebrew means like. You are like a Russia. You're not necessarily a Russia, but you're like a Russia. You, care, you, you share characteristics that a Russia has the urge to sin. Remind ourselves, although behaviorally we may be in check, even in certain areas at least, but emotionally we still have characteristics that a Russia has, the impulse to do evil. So it's not to God forbid put us down and to feel bad about ourselves and we're bad people. No, we're good people, but we're not perfect people. And that's okay, but it's important to remember that. It's important to remember where we're holding. Um... So in the, in the middle of page, page 56, sorry, page 156. Although the Benini has the strength to control his behavior, he has that inspiration to control his behavior. At the end of the day, he's still like a Russia because he's not totally in control. He still has the urge. He's in control enough not to misbehave, 
but he doesn't have enough control to transform himself. He's not transforming himself. He's just going to behave better. He's just going to gain better self-control. Um, the second, sorry, I said middle paragraph, but I apologize. The second bold paragraph on 156. Therefore, since the bane in his evil remains as strong as ever, he's referred to by the Talmud as like a Russia, can't Russia. He's not a Russia, but he's like a Russia. This helps him remain humble. This helps him not get ahead of himself. The, now, there are times where a Benini will have a tzaddik-like experience. Where he will, you know, if you think about it this way, a tzaddik totally internalized the divine soul, has totally driven out the animal impulse, or at least his animal impulse is not relevant. So you can imagine emotionally how he feels about his Judaism and about his relationship with God. Very passionate, right? Very passionate. The Bainanim will feel a little bit of that passion as well at certain times, right? During prayer, you know, we get to feel it a little bit on Yom Kippur if, if we're in the right frame. You know, we, we get to feel this inspiration that a tzaddik feels. The difference is a tzaddik always feels it, and a Bainini feels it at certain times. And the, my favorite analogy that I, that I learned, and I, I mentioned last week Rabbi Shays Taub, who's a famous Tanya, Tanya expert. He gives this analogy. You have a rubber band. I don't have a rubber band here, so it's not going to be... You're just going to have to imagine. I have my rubber band. Judy has a rubber band. <laughs> I probably have a lot of rubber bands. Can you pass it through the screen? Yeah. <laughs> All my rubber bands are downstairs. Rubber bands are one of those things. Rubber bands and scissors and optometrists are those things that they're always there when you don't need it. <laughs> As soon as you're looking for one, you can't find it. <laughs> okay. Now, don't worry about it. Okay, so imagine you have a rubber band. I have my imaginary rubber band. I'm stretching it. Right? This side of the rubber band represents my behavior. This side of the my outer self. This side of the rubber band represents my inner self, my passion. And for a tzaddik, they're pretty much in line. There's no tension. But for a benini, Emotionally, I still have my own lusts, my own desires, my own interests. Behaviorally, I'm getting more involved in Judaism. Now what happens? There's tension. There's tension on this rubber band. This is the inner tension we all feel. We try to take on more in Judaism. We try to increase our involvement. And this can happen in any relationship. I try to push myself in a relationship, to invest in a relationship, but emotionally, I'm not there. And there's tension. There's tension on this rubber band. There's tension between my inner self and my outer self. This is something the Bainini feels all the time. And this is something we are lucky enough to feel. We feel this tension. What, what happens? What's going to happen? Three things, there's three options. There's four options. Option number one, you can live a life of tension, <laughs> a life of discomfort, a life of suffering. Not a good option. It's not going to last. Option number two, you could snap. 
And now you lost everything. Option number three, slowly, perhaps not even realizing it, revert back because you physically can't maintain with, on, uh, with that tension. You can't maintain your relationship with God with that, or with anybody with that tension. Slowly revert back and start dropping observances. Right? I solved the problem. No more tension. Less observance means less tensions. It's a great, it's a great solution. But the Tanya's solution is for the Bainini is to somehow increase your emotional involvement. So now you've increased your behavior, your observance in this relationship with God. Yes, there's tension, but if you increase your emotional engagement, there's going to be less tension. Now, a tzaddik never had that tension because he's always feeling it, because he's totally internalized the divine soul. The Bainani has opportunity to increase his emotional engagement during prayer. Um, the, during prayer is a time where we have the opportunity to connect, to emotionally engage in our relationship with God, to inspire ourselves which releases that tension because I'm more interested. In, now I'm more interested in the relationship. Just like in a, in a, um, you know, in a marital relationship, which is overly physical, but not emotional. It's going it's not going to feel good. There has to be some sort of actual intimacy, not just two bodies connecting, but there has to be an emotional intimacy. And that, that, that helps create the relationship. Prayer is a time where we can increase our intimacy with God. We can converse with God. We can feel God, should we allow ourselves to. And um, remember last year, our JLI course on prayer, the structure of prayer is actually set up. You know, we could do our own prayers from our own hearts, which is a beautiful thing, and that's appropriate. But the structure of prayer also is, a, is set up um, to help us emotionally connect which is a whole discussion for another time. But if you remember last, uh, in, in chapter one, there was the great sage Rabbah, quoted from the Talmud. And Rabbah, who is a, an incredible sage, incredible scholar, he had, just like King David, he was always engaged in Torah study. The, the angel of death couldn't kill him until it was able to distract him. And he says, I'm a Bainini. And his students said, whoa, if you're a Bainini, what does that make us? How could he be a Bainini? And the answer is he was always engaged in holy activity. He felt like a tzaddik. He was a tzaddik, but he thought, maybe I'm not a real tzaddik. Maybe I'm just inspired. Maybe I feel like a tzaddik. Um, but the point is, although a Bainini is like a Russia, feels the urge to sin, feels the urge to do bad. And if he says, I'm not doing bad, there's going to be tension. He can release some of that tension by heightening his emotional engagement through prayer. It's not going to totally release the tension because he's not going to be a tzaddik unless he has that potential. But most of us, we're not going to be a tzaddik. We're not going to be perfect. We can't really control how we, we feel that much. We can inspire how we feel, though. We can gain tools for inspiration. And the Tanya is going to talk more about this throughout the next couple of chapters. Developing inspiration to release that inner tension.
The whole point of Natanya, as we said on the cover page, is really to improve our relationship with God. So our relationship with God is not a tenuous relationship, but it's a meaningful relationship. Which, by the way, one of the most incredible things about this to me is the, the Tanya didn't start off as a book. The Tanya started off as people going to the Alter Rebbe, to Rabbi Shneur Zalman, for advice. They were feeling this inner tension in their relationship. They were feeling inconsistencies. They were feeling hypocrisy, all these different negative feelings that we feel, guilt and shame and all the different things that creep up in our, in our uh, uh, conception of Judaism. Right? Jews love guilt. And the Alter Rebbe would provide counsel based on Torah, based on Torah concepts. And he was such a popular counselor that he, can't, he got too popular too quickly. He had to, you had to book an appointment. And you had to book through the secretary. And you're only allowed to come once in several years because he was just so busy. Eventually, he said, I have an idea. I'll put it all in a book. All my advice that I've been giving you is going to be put in a book. And that's, that's how the Tanya was born. And what's fascinating is someone you know, uh, um, on the Alter Rebbe's level, who really was a tzaddik, wasn't a benini, can relate to people like you and me, can relate to struggles that you and I are having. And the struggles we're discussing here that are very relevant to our own lives are struggles that he was addressing 200 years ago, that Jews in the shtetl with long pace, long, long black coats had. They had these struggles, the same struggles we're having that we're addressing here. which is another important lesson. Never, you always have to look, look beyond the clothing that a person has. We're all people and we all have our own challenges. And we all have this opportunity to work on them together. Okay, another point that I wanted to share in this chapter, and it's an important point. So the Bainini develops love, right? Develops passion. The Tzaddik also has this passion. How real is the Bainini's passion? How true is it? Is it considered to be emet? Is it considered to be real? Is it considered to be true? Is it considered to be honest? It's very likely that because the Bainin is only feeling passionate at certain times, he might feel that, hey, this is not really me. It's an experience that I'm having, but it's not me. You know, like when you go on vacation? I remember once <laughs> when I was working at Cedar sinai Medical Center, a couple of, uh, about, it was like four or five years ago, I was working as a chaplain. And on my floor, I was on the seventh floor, and there was this occupational therapist. She's sitting at one of the desks at the nurse's station. There's a long row of computers, and she's sitting down, and she has this super depressed look on her face. She is so sad. I said, what's wrong? Everything okay? She says, I just came back from vacation. I said, that's beautiful. Did you have a good time? She says, I had an incredible time. She said, why are you so sad? This is like, you know, it's gloomy outside. And so she says, look where I came back from. She shows me a picture on her phone. It's like the Bahamas or something, some sandy beach with palm trees. That's where I came back from. So what's wrong? She says, look where I am now. <laughs> she realized she came back to reality and it was painful. Or, I don't know, painful. She, was, she, was, she found it to be painful. 
because her vacation wasn't her life. It was an experience. A bainini may feel like that. You know, I go to show, I go, I get inspired, but it's just an experience. It's not me. So is this considered to be real or not? A tzaddik is always experiencing um, intimacy in his relationship with God and feeling it. A tzaddik, so for a tzaddik, it's real, but for me, is it real? You know how you define real? How you define truth? The word emet, the Hebrew word emet, which means true, the Talmud explains has three letters, Aleph, Mem, and Taf. And if you picture the three letters, compare it to the three letters of the word Sheker, lie. I should have written this out to, to give you visuals, but I didn't, so I apologize. But if you picture the three letters, Shin, Kuf, Resh, which spells Sheker, lie, all the three letters of Sheker, Shin, Kuf, Resh, have one, have a very, have a one-legged base. The, the physical image of the letters have a one-legged base. All of the letters of Emet, Truth, Aleph, Mem, Tav, have a three-legged base. The difference between Sheker and Emet, Sheker is not going to stand that long. It doesn't last. Emet does. If something lasts from generation to generation, it's true. If something is true, true uh, truthfulness is pervasive. That's why the word Emet, Aleph, Mem, Tav, Aleph is the first letter of the alphabet. Tav is the last. Mem is the middle. Truth was, is, and will be. Whereas Sheker, all those three letters are at the end of the alphabet right next to each other. It's, it's for that moment. The Bainini may feel that his inspiration is Sheker. It's not true. But the Alter Rebbe makes the argument that it is true. There's two types of truth. There's objective truth and there's subjective truth. So... From the Bainini's perspective, his love is true. He's experiencing it in that moment. In that moment, it's real. If he was going to compare himself to the Tzaddik, you're right, it's not true. Because the Tzaddik's love is true, is real. Because it's always there. For the Bainini, at that moment, it's there, it's real. To him, it's real. There's objective truth and there's subjective truth or and the Bainini has the subjective truth. To him, it's true. To him, it's real. In his reality, it's there. And the truth is, even though it's not going to last, even though we get inspired and the inspiration dissipates, it's still there. We're just not always feeling it. We can always reawaken it. That inspiration that we got on Yom Kippur, the inspiration we got when going to Shul, that inspiration we got um, from our Passover Seder or whatever it is. I'm just giving examples. Although the inspiration does dissipate, and although we may feel it wasn't true, so we need to know two things. Number one, at that moment, it was true. Number two, we have the ability to, re to reawaken that inspiration that was there. Once we have the inspiration, okay, you don't feel it at the moment, we can reawaken it. And that's through meditation. Hasidic um, teachings, Tanya in particular, focuses a great deal in meditation. Meditation, though, again, like I always say, please don't rely on translations. I don't, like, I don't know if meditation is the real, the best translation. Um, meditation, I don't know, what does meditation mean? Meditation is more like relaxation, calming ourselves down, which is an important thing. But it's more, the Hebrew word is hitzbonenut, comes from the word bina understanding trying to focus focus on an idea 
Focus on our relationship with God. Focus on our concept of God. Think about God. Because like we said, what we feel is a product of how we think. The more we think, the more we feel. The more we feel, the less tension there is in our behavior because there's the feeling. And that's through focusing, through thinking. And prayer helps us do that. But when we get that inspiration and it's gone, we can reignite it through thinking, through focusing. I'll just end with a quick sto- another quick story. Rabbi, Rabbi Chase Taub, this guy that I keep quoting. I just I, I enjoy his teachings, and so I just good guy. Um, he was giving a lecture on Tanya. He, he was actually he was. I guess his his uh, wife was working in a summer camp. His kids were, were in a summer camp, and he was there in the camp, but he wasn't there working. He was just present. I guess he felt like, why not? I'll 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 be on campus, and he was working on a book that he was writing. And they asked him to speak to the kids. The director said, can you give a little talk to the kids? He said he was super hesitant. He says, look, I'm not a kid person. I love teaching adults. I love writing. He has a column, an advice column in one of these Jewish magazines that he's very good at. He says, I love writing. I love teaching adults. I'm not really good with, with teaching kids. They begged him. They begged him. He said, fine, I'll do it. And he gives this talk. It's explaining basics of Tanya to, to kids, to nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds. And he gives the analogy with the rubber band and how the more we feel God, the less tension we'll have. And the way we feel God is by thinking about him, which is the idea of prayer. Prayer is that opportunity to think about him. So, And he says to the kids, let's practice it. We're going to take 20 seconds. Close your eyes. And think of God. And he, they do it for 20 seconds. He says, what did you feel? One kid who happened to be at the edge raises his hand and said, I felt very peaceful. The next kid thought they were going around the room. So the next kid speaks up. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't necessarily mean for that to happen. But spontaneously, everybody's going around the room ex- describing what they felt. I felt empowered. I felt inspired. I felt strong. I felt present. Everybody, these are kids. These were 9, 10, 11-year-olds in camp describing their experience, what they felt of God, when they thought about God. The more we think about God, the more we feel God, the more we can be inspired in our relationship with God, the less tension we can have. And although we're we're not going to be at tzaddik, we're still going to have the urges to do bad, but we're still going to at least have the passion to do good. And even though that feeling might not might be me a fleeting feeling, it is still real because we can always reawaken it. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Any 